Well, good morning once again. If you would like to turn with me, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to be looking at 8 through 17. Uh, we're going to be looking at Christ's promise to David. Um, and I don't preach and coach, so I'm going to take that off. Um, I dive a heat stroke after it's all said and done. Won't get to eat those good dumplings. I'd have to get an ambulance called, called and um, it'd be terrible at that point. But this morning, as we looked at, we're looking at 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 17. I want you to turn with me there. Um, but before we get there, I just want to kind of walk through what we've been through so far and kind of catch everyone up that may or may not be in here, or just a reminder to us. Uh, and then I want to look at what our goal is this morning. Uh, so what we've seen so far in our Advent series, our series through this Christmas time, uh, this Advent this year, is that we've looked at the fact that Christ was planned before the foundation of the world to be the salvation for those that would believe and trust in Him in faith. Uh, but the first promise to man of Christ's birth occurs during the fall of man into sin by Adam and Eve, and then again to Abraham as God makes His covenant with him. That's what we looked at last week, the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, that's what we looked at last week and how Christ is the fulfillment of that. And then this morning, what we're going to be looking at is something very similar in principle. Uh, it's the fact that Christ was the promised, uh, was promised to David as God makes his covenant with him. Uh, and this is also known as the Davidic covenant. Uh, and the reason why all of this is so important and what we're going to look at is the fact that um, what we see through all of these sermons and what we see in the birth of Christ, it was not something that randomly or suddenly happened, but rather God was working it out through all human history and that on the day that the Messiah was born, it was the greatest moment that the world had ever seen. This is because it meant that the salvation of the world had come and was born. And that's why each and every year we come together, we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior because it is one of the most important days in human history. Uh, I say one of the most important dates is because it is the beginning of redemption uh, uh, in the human form and it is fulfilled uh, in the death and resurrection of Christ and then one day it will be completely finished in the coming of our Lord and Savior for the second time. And so what we see in all of this is that uh, this morning's sermon, just like there are others, is pointing to the, the historical reference of Christ through the Old Testament. And if you've turned with me to 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 17, let's stand and let's read it together as a congregation. 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 17 says this, Now therefore, this as you shall be, uh, say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I look you, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and not be disturbed no more. A violent man shall afflict them no more as formerly. For the time that I have appointed judges over the people of Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When, you, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up an offspring after you who will come from, the body, from your body and will establish your kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall to be, be to me a son. 
When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all the words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the fact that it is infallible, the fact that we can trust it because it is all knowledgeable. It is exactly what you have prescribed and given to your people to, to implement and to use in this life so that we could look towards Christ, look to the fulfiller of the covenant, covenants, look to the fulfiller of the promises and the prophecies. And Father, as we open up your word and we read it aloud this morning, God, open our hearts as well. Open our hearts to understand your word. Open our hearts to be uh, come to you in salvation if that's what your desire is for any this morning, God. Open up our hearts that we may apply your truths to our lives so that we can be an example for Christ in the world around us. But Father, take me now. Hide me behind your word. Hide me behind your scripture. Hide me behind your words to your people this morning. And God, everything I say be in accordance to your desire and your will. We love you. We praise you. and We glorify you with all that we are. And your son's perfect in holy name. Amen. This morning as we look into the idea of God, be, uh, Christ being promised to David, we're really going to look at a few different things. But first and foremost, we're going to walk through 2 Samuel because we need to look at this covenant that God makes with David to really understand the fulfillment that Christ is in his birth, death, and resurrection. And really what we see first and foremost is uh, as we saw it at the very last verse, which was verse 17, or if you looked at verses 1 through 7, you see that Nathan, this... Uh, prophet of God is speaking to David and telling David exactly what God would have for him to tell him. He's just a, he's just a mouthpiece for God to, spot, to speak to David in, in, in developing and establishing this covenant with David. So Nathan is talking to David and he essentially tells him about four different aspects here. And I've got it broke down by looking at verses 8 through 9 first and foremost. It says that God has worked in and for David. Really that's what we see going on in those two verses is that God is working in David's life. That God is working out things in David's life and God is the one that has established David. He actually says it by saying that I have taken you out of the field. I have removed you from a shepherd and I have placed you as king, as lord over my people. That God is saying, you have not established yourself. You have not built yourself up. You have not declared yourself king, but I, the Lord God, have declared you to be king over my people. This isn't something David fulfilled, but this is something that God fulfilled in David. Even so much so that we see the promise of David being king as he was a young boy. But even then, uh, we see that it moves on in history. We see that he declare, he, he destroys uh, Goliath and he, he ra- rises up in power and that God is developing him. And to say off of that is also that he also says, God declares that I have delivered David from all of his enemies. That I have taken care of him. I have provided the deliverance against his enemies. And we definitely see that in the life of David. We see that David killed Goliath with a rock, right? Um, no other time do we see something of that in human history. We see that David is victorious in many battles, even against his pre- predecessor, Saul. That Saul sought to kill David, so much so that he tried many, many times, but David prevailed even to the end. That God not only established David, put David in his kingdom, put David in his kingship, but he also has delivered him from all of his enemies. 
that God is working in David's life. This has to be clear when we read the life of David is that God is the one doing the work in his life. Then we also see that this is a small promise, and we're going to look at some more promises, is that God is going to make David a great name. That God would develop and make David into a great name. This is very similar to the promise that God tells Abraham. He tells Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will make you a great name. I'm going to make you known amongst the people. And then when you read through verses 10 and 11, you see this idea is that God is going to provide and deliver his people. That God is going to use David for a purpose and for a will. And that will and that purpose is to deliver his people, the Israelites, and to provide a home and a place for them. And a place that never ending. We're going to see this aspect. And that's the key of it all is that this place is never ending. A kingdom that is never ending. That David was used to provide a kingdom that would never end. That's what we see in the life of David so far. And then when you get to verses 12 through 13, he provides some future promises to David. He says that you will lie down with your fathers, that you will die. That David, you are going to die. You are not a perfect individual. You're going to die. And when you die, I am going to raise up your offspring after you and I will establish his kingdom. Now, what we do know is that this is talking about Solomon, his son, and that he would raise him up into the kingship. When we see this happens after David's death, that Solomon is raised up into power of the king. And he says, I will raise you up offspring. And what we're going to look at after we get through these verses is that most prophecies and most, um, most uh, covenants pointed to an immediate and to a future process. And this immediate is Solomon, but the future is Christ. We're going to see that. Then he goes on and he says, your offspring will build my house. That He's going to build a temple for God. He's going to develop this. And then he goes on and he says, I will establish his kingdom forever. That God was, as David died, he was going to bring up his offspring and he was going to establish this kingdom forever. Now, that sounds great. That sounds fantastic. That sounds like a great promise. But then you get to verses 14 through 17 and it all goes south. When you read 14 through 17, you see these principles that your offspring will, quit, uh, will commit iniquity. That your offspring, David, will commit iniquity against me and I will chastise him. I will punish him. I will correct him. I will, I will judge him for his sin. And I'm going to take my kingdom away from him. I'm going to take his kingdom away from him. We're going to see that in 1 Kings just in a little bit. But he says, but this kingdom, though, though he sins, though he falls, though I will take the kingdom away from him, this kingdom will still stand forever. That, that David, your kingdom will still be forever, even though you're descended, even though your offspring, Solomon, will have it taken away from him. So we walk through this. We see a lot of things going on. But like I said earlier, that when we look at prophecies and covenants in the Old Testament, we have to understand that there are a lot of times, not all of them, but a lot of times, specifically this one and then the Abrahamic one that we looked at last week, are twofolded. And they're twofolded in the sense that one is an immediate reaction and one is a future thing. And what we see in this is that there's an immediate offspring, and that is Solomon, and the future offspring, which is Christ. And that when you read through this, you see different things that point to Solomon and different things that point to Christ. For example, you see that this kingdom will be established forever. That's not Solomon, because what we see in 1 Kings 11, 11, and 12 says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, and I have, and I have commanded you, you surely will, I surely will, surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for your sake, uh, for the sake of David, your father, I will do it in your days, but I will tell it, tear it out of the hands of your son. 
that in 1 Kings 11, 11, 12, what we see is that Christ is, that God is talking to Solomon. He says, because you have not kept my commandments, because you have not kept my covenant, because you have not obeyed me, I am going to rip the kingdom from you and give them to your servant. And essentially what that is saying is that I'm going to take the kingdom from the lineage of David and I'm going to give it to somebody else. But what we saw in the beginning is this promise that David's kingdom would last forever. So Solomon isn't the ultimate offspring that that is in the covenant of David, but there's another one. It's pointing to a second one, and that second one is Christ. We definitely see that in 2 Samuel 7, 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. That's not necessarily talking about Solomon, because Solomon's kingdom was pulled away from him, but Christ's wasn't. We see Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33. It says, And behold... You will conceive your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be a great and, I, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Is that when you look at this covenant that God makes with David, he points to this offspring that was going to establish a kingdom that would last forever. And though it's initially it's introduced through Solomon, but Solomon's not the ultimate fulfiller of this covenant. And just like Abraham's fulfillment was Christ, so is David's. The, the fulfillment of David's covenant is Christ, and Christ is the, the lineage, the offspring of David that would be the one that would reign forever. We see this in the promise to Mary of the, the son that was to come, the son that was in her womb, that they shall call Jesus. The one that is high and lifted up in the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David, that Christ is this descendant of David, that will have this throne of David and the reign under the throne of David. And in this throne, in his reign, it will not end. There is no end to the reign of Christ like there was an end to the reign of David in his death or the end to the reign of Solomon in his iniquities because Christ is a perfect and holy God made into human flesh that is the fulfillment of not only the Abrahamic covenant, but also the Davidic covenant, that Christ is this fulfillment, that Christ is the true king that was promised to David in the covenant. So we see so far is that Christ is the promised king. And that because He's the promised King, there's some things that we have to understand about Christ. That even as He was born into the earth and laid in a manger and lived there, that even in the infant, He was the King. He was the King that was to rule forever and forevermore. And He was promised of the ages past that He would be born. That's why this moment in, in human history is so glorious because hope had entered into the earth through the birth of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We're also going to see that not only was He the promised King, but He is the eternal King, the just King, and the righteous King. And this is such a beautiful thing because, because Christ is the promised King and the one that would reign forever, that He has to be the eternal, the just, and the righteous King. If you want to turn, you can look at with me in Isaiah 9, 6-7. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says this, for to us a child is born. This sounds very similar, right? This, this, is a, this is a moment in Isaiah's life. He's prophesying of what to come, and this is talking about Jesus. This is almost exact words that we see in Luke chapter 2. It says, For this to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. 
and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We see in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 that Christ it's just another example of Christ being the fulfillment of the David, the, the covenant God makes with David. And he says it by saying that in the wonderful, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David, that Christ is the child that was to be born, that there would be no end to the throne of David, because he would be the promised, the eternal, the just, and the righteous king. And we see all of that found in this verse alone. Isaiah 9, 7, verses uh, the first part, and then I'm going to skip to the very last part. It tells us about this eternal king. It says, of, course, of the increase of the government and the peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, that Christ is not only a promised king that was promised to David, but he's also the eternal king and he will reign forever, that he will not fall, he will not be shaken, he will not be destroyed, but he shall rule forever and forevermore. He's ruling now, he will rule in the new heavens and the new earth. He will rule and he will conquer it all, that Christ is not only a promised king, but he is an eternal king. And because He is an eternal King, there will be no end to His reign, that He will last and reign forever. There is great joy, and we're going to look at that in just a moment, but there's great joy in knowing that our Lord, our Savior, our King, is a, live, a living and live King that will never die nor forsake us. There's no other religion that known to man that can say that they had a God that stepped out of heaven, that died, conquered sin, rose again, and brought back, brought back victory for us. That in Christ there is, in Christ is the only eternal and heavenly king. But not only is he an eternal king, but he is also a just king. And I really want to do righteous king first, because it's really hard to understand the just king without understanding the righteous king. But when you read Isaiah 9 7, it says just first, so that's what I'm going to address first. It says to establish it and to uphold it with justice now we have to understand this idea to establish it and to uphold it that christ is the king that was promised to establish the throne of david and the kingdom of david now how is christ one that was born after david the one establishing the kingdom of david and we're going to see that in the fact that Christ is God Himself made in the flesh that was born of the virgin, that lived a perfect and sin-free life, that lived the life we couldn't, die the death we deserve, and conquering it all. And in His life, we see that He is the eternal Son of God, that He has always been and will always be. And that because Christ is God, we see that Christ is the one that has provided the kingdom of David. As the promise in first, uh, in. Second Samuel says that I have taken you out of the fields. I have placed you in your kingship. I have defeated your enemies. I have made you a great name. That Christ, our Heavenly Father, our God Himself in the Trinity is the one that has established the kingdom of David. Thus, Christ is the one that has established His kingdom. But not only has He established His kingdom, but He is the one that will uphold it. That he is the one that will maintain it. Solomon could not do that. Solomon could not maintain the kingdom of David because Solomon was a sinful man that did not uh, adhere to the, the commands and the covenant of God. And he broke and disobeyed God. So therefore, he could not uphold it. And the only one that could uphold the kingdom in which God was establishing through David was the perfect and holy king. And we see that in the fact that Christ is the righteous king. But because Christ is a just king, 
what we see mainly is the fact that He will judge those that are sinful and He will commend greatness to those that are following after Him. We see this is that He is a just King. And I'm going to come back to that because to understand the justice of our Lord and Savior, we have to understand His righteousness. And what we see is that it says to establish and uphold it with righteousness, that Christ is this perfect and holy Creator of the world that made flesh and lived a perfect life. And because He is a perfect and holy righteous King, that He is the one that can deliver us from our sins. He can provide salvation for us because He lived a perfect and holy life and He is righteous. And because He is righteous, He is also just. And because He is righteous and perfect and holy and cannot be with sinful men, that He has to judge those that are sinful. That He has to bring forth judgment on the iniquities of man unless they believe upon His blood of salvation, unless they trust in Him for salvation of their sins, that He will bring judgment to those that are unsaved, those that have not come into Him in salvation. So Christ is the promise, the eternal, the just, and the righteous King, that He is all of these things, and He in all of these things is the fulfillment of the, the covenant in which God makes with David in Second Samuel. That He is this fulfillment, that He is the one that will provide a kingdom that will be an eternity long, that will last forever, that will never end. And because of that, we have to understand that if you're here, and this is a very serious thing, if you're here and you've come to Christ in salvation, you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you've surrendered your life to Him, He's opened you and called you to Himself, you've responded accordingly, you have been saved by redemption, by repentance, and by trusting and having faith in Christ, and you're depending on that and that alone, He is your King. He is the one that rules and reigns over you. And because He is that, we are naturally going to respond in some ways. And because He is our King, because He is our ruler, we respond in several ways. And first and foremost, we respond by trusting in Him for salvation, by faith and repentance. Now, maybe you're here, maybe you're saved, maybe you've come to Christ in salvation. Don't ignore this because you have to remind yourself of this often. You have to remind yourself that God has saved and redeemed you. And it was not a work of your own, but a work of God. So first and foremost, because Christ is the eternal, the, the promise, the eternal, the righteous, the just King, the Savior of the world, that we first and foremost must trust in Him in faith and repentance. That there is no other way of salvation, there is no other hope in this life but trusting in Christ for our salvation. And because He is this King that will reign and rule forever, that we must depend on Him. We must plead and beg for Him to save us because we have no hope and have no other way of salvation other than through Him. Maybe you're here and you've come to Christ in salvation. Maybe you've accepted Him. Maybe you've followed Him. Maybe you've done it a long time ago or recently. There's two things that it's important for us to understand about that. Is that Christ will be our King for all eternity. That God in a billion or two billion or three billion years, He won't just get tired of you like your husband or your wife may do from time to time and ask you to leave. He, 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 he's not going to get tired of you. He's not going to reject you. He's never going to, to turn His back on you. He's the one that has saved and redeemed you. He has called you to Himself. He has redeemed you through the blood of Christ. He's illuminated your heart through the Spirit. He's the one that has made it possible for you to be saved. And because He has done that, He will maintain your salvation forever. And there is no throne on heaven, there is no throne in hell or on earth that can beat or defeat the throne of God. And because He lasts forever, because He is an eternal King, there is no departing from His grace and mercy. 
And that is a wonderful and beautiful thing because I don't know about you, but I know in two, three billion years, I'm, somebody's going to get tired of me. But through the grace and the mercy and the perfection of God implemented into each and every one of our lives, He will maintain and hold us forever. There will be not a day that He wakes up in eternity past and says, I am going to send you to hell because He has already redeemed us through the blood of Christ and He will maintain that for all of eternity. The last thing, if you're here and you understand that Christ is your King, you've surrendered your life to Him, that you must understand is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Therefore, we are, his ambassador, or we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for sake He had made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that when we might become the righteousness of God, that therefore we are ambassadors of Christ. We have a king that is the ruler, the ultimate king. He is greater than any kingdom on earth that has ever been or will ever be. He is greater than any president or any vice president or any uh, dictator or anything that has ever been on this earth. That we have a king that is all sovereign, all control, all powerful, all knowing, and, and, and working all things out for his will and his glory and for our good. And we have a king that is living that out each and every day of our lives. And because he is that, he has called us to be His ambassadors. He's called us to be His representatives on this earth. It's very, very important that we understand that this place is not our home. This is not our destination. This isn't the place that we spend most of our life and then we get the prize of heaven. That heaven is our home. Heaven is our destination. This is the place in which we come to first before we truly live in Christ. And because this is not our home, because we're separated from the kingdom that is really the place where we belong, we are living in a, in a different land in which we are ambassadors. Just like the U.S. sends ambassadors to all other countries to represent their, their home country, their home place, we are that to Christ. We are that to God, that we are His ambassadors on this life and this earth. And we do that, we represent Him in a few different ways, mainly by, by physically representing Him and by speaking on behalf of Him. That we live in this life as ambassadors for Christ so that we can live as Christ would live. That we can be as, Christ, as an example of Christ in every aspect of our life. That we would live out the truths of the gospel each and every day. That we physically represent Christ. But not that we only physically represent Him, but mainly and most importantly, that we represent Him by speaking on His behalf. That we declare and preach the gospel to those around us. That is exactly what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians. He says we are His ambassadors. God making His appeal through us that he's talking to these people he's making he's saying God is making his appeal to you through us and we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God we are to do exactly that in our lives we're to go to people and we're to appeal to them to beg and to earn and to urge and to, to pray and to seek that God would reconcile them to himself that they would be reconciled to God that this is our responsibility is to preach and to share the gospel not only in our actions, but most importantly in our words. And I can't help but think about the fact that this time of the year, it is the Christmas season. It is the time in which most places, not all places, you have the opportunity to hear Merry Christmas or it's the opportunity at this time of the year where you can buy a gift for a friend or a family member. And it's not weird. 
Right. You could buy something small for a co-worker, give it to them, and share the gospel with them. It's the time of the year where you can declare who Christ is, and people won't think twice about it because of the time of the year it is. But this is a perfect time of the year to begin to share the gospel with anyone that you might not have been, to tell them about the perfect and holy God that has created all mankind, and therefore we are subject to Him, and that in our sinfulness we have been separated from Him for eternity long. But thanks to Him and thank God that He sent His only son in the form of an infant in the form of a baby that would live a life that we couldn't to die the death we deserve so that we could repent and believe upon him and have salvation this is the perfect time of the year to do some small gesture just to be able to share the gospel with somebody or just to do it in general so this morning as we walk through all of this we see that christ is not only the fulfillment of the abrahamic covenant but he's as we saw last week but he's the fulfillment of the david david the, David, the covenant God made with David. This Christ is promised offspring of David that would establish an eternal kingdom that would not end. So we celebrate the birth of Jesus. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we are celebrating the birth of the one true king that is eternal, just, and righteous. Because Jesus is the king, we respond by repenting and believing upon him for salvation. And that is a salvation that is never ending because he will reign forever without an end. And thus, we are to live on this earth as ambassadors, living out and speaking the gospel to all around us. This morning, as we come to an end of our service, I think it's crucial that we understand that as we walk through the history, and the reason why I do the Advent series, the reason why we do this, is because I want us to get a small picture of what it felt like in this day and age, that for thousands of years, God is promising and promising, and promising, and promising, and promising, and pointing to, and pointing to a Savior that was to come. And that Savior that was to come would redeem them and deliver them from their sins and their iniquities. And because of that, they waited and waited and waited so long that they, some of them even forgot. That's why we even call it the dark ages in between the Old and the New Testament. That, that they waited so long that they, they lost sight of what was to come. But in that day that Christ was born was the day that, that hope came, that joy came, that peace came, that love came and entered into the scene. And when it entered into the scene, He fulfilled the covenants of the Old Testament. And in fulfilling the covenants of the Old Testament, it brought salvation to the world. And because of that, we glorify and we praise God through it all. So this morning, my prayer and my hope so as we look at the fact that Christ is the eternal, the promised, eternal, just, and righteous King, that we would respond by trusting in Him and salvation, that we would trust in our eternal destination, and that we would also be His ambassadors in this world. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now. We thank You so much for this day. We thank You for opportunity to be at your house and just to praise and glorify your name father we thank you for the chance of reflecting on the fulfillment of the covenant that you made with the king thousands of years ago that was fulfilled in the birth of christ god we thank you that you humbled yourself so dearly that you took on the form of an infant to only live the life that we couldn't and die the death we deserve. And in doing that, pouring 
the sins of the world on your shoulders, taking them on and delivering those that would repent and believe. And because of that, Father, I pray and hope that if there's any here that doesn't know you, Father, you would call them to yourself. And those that do, Father, that we would be your ambassadors to the world around us, that we would represent you greater than we represent any other kingdom or any other place on this earth. We love you. We praise you. We glorify you. In your son's perfect and holy name. Amen.